one of my actors here this morning that was here last week. Should we have him come on up here? Yeah. Come on up here, your majesty, king of Israel. Does anybody remember this guy's name? Sorry, I'm going to mess up your hair. I knew it would be okay with you. You're not vain. Here we have, what was his name? you remember? Jehoash, or Joash. But he's not the one who was the boy king. No, this is the one that's up north. Now, there was another Joash, and they actually reigned at the same time and lived at the same time. But this one's the one from the north, not the boy king. And we don't know a lot about him, but we're going to learn a little bit more about him today. Now, who remembers the other guy? Now, my actor that played this last week, last time, isn't here today. So who wants to fill in for Ethan? Who wants to fill in for Ethan? Anybody want to fill in for Ethan? Nobody wants to fill in for Ethan? Elijah, you want to fill in for Ethan? No? He knows what happens. Mr. Fleming, you want to fill in for Ethan? Now, last time we picked Ethan because Ethan was 24 years old. So our age doesn't match here, but that's okay. We'll survive. Really? Yeah. He got older, but we don't, I don't think he lived as old as you. You're privileged. You're 25 now. There you go. That make you feel good? Remember these two guys? Joash and Amaziah. Now, they were talking to each other, and they said, let us, this guy sent a message to this guy saying, let us see one another face to face. Now, as I told you last time, and, and I said, that wasn't like face to face to have coffee. That was face to face to have war. But as I've been doing more reading this week and looking at that and thinking about it, I've wondered if maybe it was because there's something intriguing about your response to him. Because you use a marriage analogy. Why would you use a marriage analogy in this whole story of these situations? You know what's possible? It's possible that this king wanted to arrange a marriage either between himself and one of his daughters or between his son and one of his daughters. Possible. And that's why he wanted to meet face to face. But it's also possible they wanted to meet face to face because you were wanting to confront him about his army who originally you hired to go fight against the Edomites, and then you fired them, and on their way home, they ransacked all the cities in Judah and took all the spoil from your towns. So there's a problem here. So was this face-to-face -face like this for war, or was there possibly this idea of a marriage alliance to fix things? I don't know. It doesn't give us any detail, but we do know that you took it as a declaration of war. He responded as if this was an issue of war. And do you remember the parable he sent to him? Who remembers, who remembers how the king of Israel, Joash, described himself? Does anybody remember? Lincoln? As a cedar tree. That's right. This big, beautiful, magnificent 100-foot-plus tree. 
That's how you describe yourself. And who remembers how Joash described Amaziah? Hannah? A thistle! Now you tell me, is there any comparison between that and this? Hmm. Were you insulted? Probably. Yeah. I think Amaziah was insulted. Uh, how many of you like thistles? Oh, Brianna likes thistles. Oh, Mrs. Smith likes thistles. Are you prickly people? Well, when you just see them like this and you don't have to pull them out of your garden, I'd like thistles too. In fact, I think the thistle I brought in last week, I got it from my parents' um, backyard or side yard. And, you know, they've let that whole area grow up and it's kind of become a prairie. And you know what? I think my parents could care less about the thistle over on the other side of the ditch. In fact, it might even look a little pretty. But boy... If this thing or its seeds get into my mom's flower garden, nope, she doesn't like the thistle. Thistles, by the way, are hard to get up too. They they hard to kill. They're hard to get out. And, and so here, but here here we got this thistle, a cedar tree, and a thistle. Do you think that's a match made for marriage? Nope. And King Joash tells King Amaziah, you come up against me to fight. And I'm going to be like the cedar of Lebanon, where no matter what the wild beasts do, eh, I'm going to be okay. But you, on the other hand, are going to be like the thistle in the field where the wild beast comes roaring through and tramples it underfoot. Now, you remember last time, we talked a lot about counsel, didn't we? Amaziah had received a lot of godly counsel in his lifetime. Prophets of God had come to him and warned him of things. And sometimes he listened, and sometimes he didn't. And now, he is being given counsel by King Joash of Israel, saying, don't mess with me. You don't want to get trampled. Don't mess with me. Thistle. So, is Amaziah going to listen? You know, this is actually, even though it's coming from a very wicked king, this is very good counsel. But will Amaziah listen? Well, if you look here in 2 Chronicles chapter 25 and verse 19, King Joash of Israel says to him, Thou sayest, Lo, thou hast smitten the Edomites, and thine heart lifteth thee up to boast. Abide now at home. Why shouldest thou meddle to thine hurt? that thou shouldest fall, even thou and Judah with thee. Verse 20. But Amaziah would not hear. He wouldn't listen. 
to this console. And by the way, the reason I had you turn this morning to the record in 2 Chronicles instead of the record in 2 Kings is because over in 2 Kings, the record stops right there in verse 20. It's not in verse 20 over there, it's, but it's verse 11, and it just stops and saying, Amaziah would not hear. But in 2 Chronicles, the Holy Spirit inspired the recorder here of this record to include a little bit more information. Look with me at it here. It says in verse 20, But Amaziah would not hear, for it came of God, for it came of God that he might deliver them into the hand of their enemies because they sought after the gods of Edom. You had a choice to listen or not to listen. You chose not to hear. Your own choice. And God's going to use your own choice to bring about judgment upon King Amaziah. And why is God going to judge King Amaziah? Does anybody remember? Or look there in verse 20. Why is God going to judge King Amaziah? Why is he going to judge him? What's it say? Yeah, because he sought after the gods of Edom. Now, remember, I know it was a long time ago, two weeks ago. What's your relationship with Edom? Not too good. In fact, um, as we just heard him mention, he won and was victorious over the Edomites. He fought against the Edomites and he won. And in fact, one of their major cities that he captured, he named it Sud Subdued by El. Subdued by God. And then he goes and he worships the Edomite gods. And the record's clear that he won because of the one true God. And when he wins, and even names a city saying that he won because of God, he then goes and worships the Edomite gods. In fact, this, this doesn't even make any logical sense. But yet that's what he does. And God is going to judge him for it. He's going to judge him for it. And he, you know what he's going to do? He's going to use his own foolishness to bring about the judgment. His own refusal to listen to good counsel, even from this wicked king up in, in, in Israel. He's going to use it against him to judge him, to bring about destruction. And so you know what? They went up, and they saw each other face to face. And again, it wasn't for coffee. It was a battle. And you better run, because he's going to get caught. So in this battle, he takes off. He goes running back to Jerusalem. And you know what? When he goes running back to Jerusalem, he doesn't leave him there. Let's see what happens here. It tells us here, So Joash, the king of Israel, went up, and they saw one another in the face, both he and Amaziah, king of Judah, at Bashemash. Now, Bashemash is an area right there on the border of Dan and um, of Judah, right there on the border. It's a border town. And they see each other right there at Bashemash, which belonged to Judah. And Judah was put to the worst before Israel, and they fled every man to his tent. And Joash, the king of Israel, took Amaziah 
king of Judah, the son of Joash. You can't let him get away. Go get him. Yeah, he took him. He took him. Now what do you think he's going to do to him? Well, you don't bring him back to Samaria. Do you know where you bring him? To your city, to Jerusalem. They go to Jerusalem. And what do you do when you get to Jerusalem? Well, right in front of you, you knock down 600 feet of the wall. I mean, 600 feet. That's, that's a huge part of a wall. And why do they build walls? To keep the enemies out. Who's your enemy? He is. And now your enemy comes, and he comes to the one gate that's facing his kingdom, the gate facing his kingdom, and he knocks it down from that gate all the way to the corner of the city. So from the corner of the wall, the gate of the city, all 600 feet, all the way to knock down this gate of Ephraim, 400 cubits, 600 feet, they knock it down. And that's not all you do. You go into his palace. You go into the temple of Jehovah and you take all the gold and the silver and all of the vessels. He takes it all. Now, I don't know if there was that much because in your father's generation, the same thing happened. So I don't know how much had been accumulated since then. It wasn't like in his father's generation where it was several generations of accumulated wealth. But nonetheless, you took it all. And in fact, it mentions here that it was also not just in the king's house, but also in the temple of the Lord. Now, I don't know if you guys remember a guy named Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom, he's mentioned here as the, as the one who is like the keeper of the house. Well, this, this is the family of Obed-Edom. And the family of Obed-Edom, all the way from the days of David, had been preserving and taking care of the treasures and the vessels of the temple and of the Lord. They've been the stewards of it. You don't care. King Joash of Israel comes and takes it all, and all the treasures of the king's house. But not only does he take all the gold and the silver, it says hostages also hostages also. Do you know what a hostage is, Hope? How about you, James? Do you know what a hostage is? A servant? Ah, a little bit like a servant. Ah, a hostage is a person who is taken and he's kidnapped. And yes, he's made a servant, generally, or sometimes just locked up. But the main idea of a hostage is, is they take hostages saying that if the rest of you don't behave, we're going to kill these hostages. So think about it, James. If somebody came and took your dad as a hostage, if, if, if that king over there, King Joash, came and took your dad as a hostage and said to you, you do what I tell you to do or I'm going to kill your dad, do you think you'll do what he tells you to do? Yeah, because you love your dad. So you're going to watch out for the hostage. Well, sometimes they make people do things that are wicked in order in this situation. And I don't know what he was doing, but that's what he did. He took hostages. Now, 
I wonder who he took. Some people have thought that he rotated hostages. Some people think that even you spent time as one of his hostages. He's got you. Holding on to him as hostages to make sure Judah behaves themselves and does just what you say and tell them to do. That's what these hostages are. So he comes to Jerusalem. He knocks down 600 feet of the wall of Jerusalem. He takes all of the silver and the gold out of the temple and out of the treasuries of the king's house. He takes hostages, and he goes back to Samaria. You going to take this one with you? I don't know if he took the king, because the king does have other freedoms later. But was he a hostage for a time? At least for a time, because he was taken here, it says. And this is a problem. So now Judah. Think about it. A city, 600 feet of your wall knocked down. And the side of the wall that's facing the enemy. All he has to do is just march right into the city. There's no gate. There's no gate to close. There's nothing. He can just walk right in. Well, it's interesting that all of this takes place because if we bounce back to 2 Kings, chapter 14, as the record continues, it just sums up King Joash of Israel. In 2 Kings 14, verse 15, it says, Now the rest of the acts of Jehoash, which he did, and his might, and how he fought with Amaziah, king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Jehoash slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. And Jeroboam, his son, reigned in his stead. So now, who's your son, Jeroboam? Can you pick somebody? You know, because I always pick people, and then, and then I'm not the popular one, so you can pick people. Oh, you pick one of your brothers? Which one of them? Micah. Okay, Micah. You're Jeroboam the second. But I don't know. We might need a lasting, oh, well, we'll just use him for today. Oh, we got to get your crown. You're the king. You reign in his stead. So, Joash of Israel, he's dead. And apparently, what he was most famous for was all of his wars with the king of Judah. Now his son reigns, Jeroboam. Hmm, does that name sound familiar? Does that name sound familiar? Jeroboam. Who can tell me why that name sounds familiar? Hannah, why? Ah, that's right. He was the king who established the golden calf. Now, was that this Jeroboam? No. This Ladies and gentlemen, is Jeroboam the second? Hey, Jehoash, I got a question. Why did you name him, name him Jeroboam? How many of you would name your kid Jeroboam? I sure wouldn't. I haven't even looked up the meaning of the name because the first Jeroboam has got such a sour reputation, I wouldn't even look up his name to even consider the name Jeroboam. Because people wouldn't remember the Jeroboam more than they would remember the name, meaning of the name Jeroboam. Jeroboam, what's his legacy? Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, when Jeroboam the first is introduced or mentioned, it says, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. And just as Hannah said, by setting up the golden calves in Dan 
and in Bethel. And we find out as the narrative continues that these golden calves spread to more cities than just those two. Now I come back to my question. Why did your dad name you Jeroboam? I have a little hint. Do you know what gods his father worshipped? The golden calves of Jeroboam the first. In fact, although it's not recorded, we later find out, as I just mentioned, that this cult of the golden calves spread to cities throughout the northern kingdom. And it's very likely because of your dad. Jeroboam the first, we remember and say, I would never name my kid Jeroboam because of Jeroboam the first and what he's famous for. Meanwhile, Joash names you Jeroboam because he liked what the first guy did. What a legacy. Jeroboam the second. I'm going to give you a little bit of hint about this guy here. He becomes great. He becomes powerful. He is one of the few kings in the Old Testament where we find his name occurring repeatedly in archaeological records of other kingdoms. And the reason is, is because you became great and powerful and prosperous and wealthy. In fact, God even used him to bring about these things in the nation of Israel. Let's look here. Back in 2 Kings now. 2 Kings chapter 14. It tells us that in the 15th year of Amaziah. Now, Amaziah, you were 25 at the beginning of your reign, and now it's the 15th year of your reign. So now he's what? 40. That's, that's a good age, right? Yeah. 40. Amaziah is 40 years old. When Jeroboam, the son of Joash of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. And you reigned 40 and 1 years. Long reign. One of the longest reigns. More than David, more than Solomon. 40 and 1 years he reigned. He reigned in Samaria. And look there, 2 Kings, 25, or 2 Kings 14, 24. It says, And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. Oh, just like your dad, just like your namesake. His name is Jeroboam, and he did evil just like Jeroboam the first in continuing in the same sins of Jeroboam the first who made Israel to sin. But regardless of that, he was great in power. Look at verse 25. He restored the coasts of Israel from the entering of Hamath unto the Sea of the Plain, a vast region that had previously been conquered by Syria. You have recaptured, you have brought it back into the, the domain of Israel, your kingdom, as it originally was. 
That's pretty spectacular, isn't it? You guys don't care because you didn't live in those regions. You didn't get harassed by the Syrians. You didn't get enslaved by them. You didn't get tortured by them. It was terrible. Well, here's Mr. Hero, Jeroboam the second. He recaptures all of that now and brings it back into the kingdom. But did he do it of his own accord? Let's check out something here. It tells us that he restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath unto the sea of the plain according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet which was a Gathite. Oh, really? Do you guys know the prophet Jonah? How many of you know Jonah? Oh, all of you know Jonah. Did you know that Jonah was not only a prophet to Nineveh, but he was a prophet to Jeroboam? Now, this is interesting. What was his prophecy to Jeroboam? What was it? Jeroboam? You're going to restore the kingdom. You're going to regain these lands captured by Haziel and others and have been scourge of the land for generations. You're going to recapture it. You're going to restore them. Now do you maybe understand a little bit why it was so hard for the prophet Jonah when God says, go to Nineveh, those people who did all this trouble before to you, go to Nineveh and tell them, a message of hope. That there's judgment, but repent, and there will be adverted. And Jonah didn't like that, did he? And we're going to learn more about Jonah a little bit later. But here is Jonah in the history of these kings. So if we were to look at our timeline here, you see Jeroboam the first up there, right? There at the beginning of this kingdom in the northern kingdom. His, his dynasty ended. So it's not like you're a descendant of him. And we've had all these different dynasties flow through. And, and you see Jeroboam the first here on this? Now if we zoom forward, you see here we've got Jeroboam the second. Here's Jeroboam the second. And you see Jonah right there? There's Jonah. Jonah the prophet fits right in here at the time of Jeroboam the second. In fact, he's the prophet who came to Jeroboam and said, you're going to restore these cities to Israel. And that is exactly what happened. He restored them. Now, why did God send Jonah to Jeroboam II and prophesy this restoration? Well, you're all looking at me like you don't know. Well, that's okay. Let's read and find out. It says here in verse 26, 2 Kings 14, 26, it says, For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel, that it was very bitter. For there was not any shut up, nor any left, nor any helper for Israel. And the Lord said not that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. You see, the Lord saw their affliction. Now, I'm curious. 
I'm really curious. You did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Your father did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And we, if we go back on our time, well, every single one of those northern kings in Israel did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Why would God show you compassion? Why would God see the affliction of the nation and help them? These are his people. And he did not say he would blot out their name. Notice there, he said he did not say that. It's interesting that it's put in that sense of the negative because some people might try to say so, especially maybe some of those really religious snobbery people down in Judah. There's a few of them down there, by the way. Yeah, God, done with them up there. Done with them. But God didn't say that he would blot them out. Instead, he saved them. He saved them. And, and, and this salvation resulted in you building up a kingdom that was great and powerful and wealthy and wicked. You see there on the timeline another prophet a little bit further on? Amos. We don't have time this morning to learn about Amos. But when we do, we learn some information from Amos about your kingdom. Because here at the beginning, you were scattered. You were weak. You, I mean, there was just nothing. Nothing. There was no one to help you. There was, no, there was nothing. And then you, with the help of God, regain all this region, and you build up in wealth and in prosperity and also in wickedness. Just to give you a glimpse, I ask myself, why didn't the Lord blot him out? When you read Amos, and please, this week, in preparation for next week, read the book of Amos. Ooh, you, you read some things about what's going on in the northern kingdom of immorality, of idolatry, of social evils, of, of, the, of the torture of people, of the, of the exploitation of the poor, all for the greater good of the rich. The rich. And everybody connected to him. And I wonder... Why did God save this guy? So that just within his own lifetime, the kingdom could go from being destitute to being prosperous and using their prosperity to oppress the people. Nonetheless, God saved them. They are his people. And it tells us, Verse 28, now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam and all that he did and his might, how he warred and how he recovered Damascus and Hamath, which belonged to Judah, for Israel, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Not only did he regain the region taken by foreign kings, but he also regained lands that were taken by the southern kingdom of, Israel, of Judah. That's about it. That's about all that's recorded here in 2 Kings. This is why Amos is so important and why next week we're going to learn about Amos because there's actually 
some more information about you in the book of Amos. Because Jonah comes at the beginning of his reign and says, you're going to regain all of this and regain all of this and regain all of this by the word of the Lord. It happens. You then use all of that wealth and influence and power and prestige to do wickedly and to allow others to do wickedly. And so then God sends you Amos, another prophet. And that's an interesting account. We're going to learn about it next week. Go read the book of Amos. Amos is interesting because Amos is oftentimes used to deal with matters of social justice. And oftentimes you hear the word social justice, and sometimes we avoid using that term because what some people mean by social justice is a little bit different than what God means by social justice. When you go read the book of Amos, you will find a true dealing of social justice. And what's really intriguing about social justice in Amos is that even in modern times, people will quote Amos to justify some of their causes. And some of the causes that they use Amos to justify are actually wicked. And if they actually read all of Amos and understood Amos in its full context, they would find out that Amos didn't come just to talk about not oppressing poor people but about what was going on in the hearts of these people that was driving them to oppress the poor people. He deals with the heart as well as the outside of the situation. It's a very fascinating book, so I beg you, read ahead the prophet, the book of Amos. The book of Amos is just nine chapters, and we're going to look at it next week and, and, and see some important things about it as it relates to this guy but he dies. He doesn't die for some time, but the time comes where he dies. There's nothing more really given about him. For it says that Jeroboam slept with his fathers, even the kings of Israel, and Zechariah his son reigned in his stead. Now, I want you to see something up on this timeline that's interesting that shifts here. Do you notice how the northern kingdom there, Israel, kind of gets multicolored like it looks like it's broken, doesn't it? It's just kind of, that's because it is broken. There are some weird things that take place here at the death of Jeroboam II. When this kingdom is delivered by the Lord and is brought to its greatest prosperity ever, its greatest prosperity. I mean, in some regards, it is parallel to the southern kingdom's prosperity, wealth, and influence in the days of Solomon. Amos is the first prophet that comes along, and he warns them. And they don't listen to him. And do you see in this timeline the disaster that Amos warns them about come about, resulting resulting in just one generation with the northern kingdom being carried away captive by Assyria. Kingdom had built up to its greatest prominence ever under Jeroboam II to tank into being scattered across the world in, 87, in, in, in 722 B.C. Scattered. Scattered. Well, 
We've learned now about King Joash up in the north, and he died, and his son Jeroboam II, and how he died, but whatever happened to Amaziah? I mean, whatever happened to Amaziah? Uh, if, if we look here, oh, yeah, Jeroboam outlived Amaziah. Um, but notice, remember, it was Joash who had captured Amaziah. But Amaziah outlives Joash. Do you see that? So whatever ended up happening to, to Amaziah. Remember, this is Amaziah. You want to stand up? Everybody remember, this was the king Amaziah, the thistle king. He's the thistle king. Amaziah, whatever happened to Amaziah? Well, back in 2 Chronicles chapter 25, it tells us that Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived after the death of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel, 15 years now the rest of the acts of Amaziah, first and last, behold, they are, are they not written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel? And here again is why I have you in 2 Chronicles. If you're looking in your harmony and you compare it to 2 Kings, this little piece of commentary isn't there in 2 Kings. The commentary is this. Now after the time that Amaziah did turn away from following the Lord. That record is only given to us in Second Chronicles. Can I take a moment here to, to explain something on a level of apologetics? On a level of apologetics? You know what apologetics is? Apologetics is to give in a defense or to give an answer for the Bible. Some people look at this and they compare 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. And did you know that in 2 Chronicles, many, many, many times there are more, there's more information given in 2 Chronicles about the spiritual condition in 2 Chronicles than is given in the Kings. And to give you a little bit of perspective, the Kings were written early, even in the contemporary times as records. Whereas the Chronicles were actually written long after, long after, back in, during the exile, during the days of, like, Ezra, um, after the Babylonian captivity and during the Babylonian captivity. And so people look at this and they say, ah, so, you know, these are those extra religiously zealous Jews putting their own perspective onto the historical account to teach morals. What's wrong with that? Who wrote Second Chronicles? Well, we don't actually know who wrote it, but we know who inspired it, and that is the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit who's not an editor, but rather the one who is inspiring this record. And so when we find these, these moral teaching lessons in 2 Chronicles, many commentaries, it's horrifying to me how often I see this in commentaries, will say, the editors in the days of Ezra added this to create a spiritual lesson for the people of their time. Mm. I hope it does that to you if you read things like that. 
Because it wasn't editors. It's the Holy Spirit. And indeed, that was the very point of the Holy Spirit in creating and adding this information. This commentary was indeed truly to teach the people the moral lessons. And so often, these little tidbits are dismissed as zealous religious Jews editing into the record their own opinions. Don't let those ever deceive you. That is not what these are. These are teachings of the Holy Spirit of God that He is recording and He is putting into the record so that we indeed can learn from their mistakes. We have here Amaziah. This guy goes back and forth and back and forth and back. And here we have a little piece of information inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, not some editor, the Holy Spirit of God, who is now teaching us and telling us that the troubles that come about and upon Amaziah were after that he did turn away from following the Lord. Apparently, in all the midst of this history, remember, at that early part, he listened to the counsel of the prophet, and he sent the guy, soldiers home, and then there was this other problem, and then this other, and sometimes he listened, and sometimes he didn't. Well, there was a clear time at which he stopped listening. A clear time which he turned away. And you know what happens? Well, you've had quite the life. Oh, my. He's got captured by the king of Israel, and he's escaped, and he's outlived him by, oh, 14 years, 15 years. And then what happens here now when he leaves the Lord? It tells us that they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem. You know what that means, Micaiah? They made a conspiracy against him. That means a group of people got together and started making plans to kill him. And apparently this conspiracy was so strong that the king, the king, the king had to flee his own city, the city he was the king of, to save his own life. He fled. He ran away. He fled to Lachish. But you know what? This conspiracy was strong. This conspiracy was powerful because you know what they did? They sent to Lachish after him and slew him there. Amaziah got assassinated. They took his body and they brought him upon horses and buried him with his fathers in the city of Judah. King says the city of David, Jerusalem. And then all the people took Uzziah, also named Azariah, who was 16 years old and made him king in the room of his father, Amaziah. Who here is 16 years old? We have anybody here that's 16 years old? We have, we have, we have one that's 16, right? Jared is 16. Jared is 16. Think about that. How many of y'all would like to have Jared as your king? Hey, your little brother does. Your little brother wants you as king. Nobody else raised their hand. Uzziah 
Azariah now becomes king. And he's got a fascinating, interesting life. But let's recap and reset all this. We've seen these kings. We've seen them. They had prophets come into their lives. They've had the word of the Lord spoken to them. And sometimes they've listened, and sometimes they haven't. And here in the case of Amaziah, here, sometimes he listened, sometimes he didn't, sometimes he listened, sometimes he didn't. And in the end, he's done serving, he's done following the Lord. And it's about that time that he gets himself assassinated. Now, I wonder, coming back to Amaziah, what do we do with counsel? When we are given truth and told truth, do we obey and listen? Or do we not hear? Refuse to hear? Let's listen to good and wise counsel. Justice had been written by the king of Solomon, it tells us in Proverbs, verse, chapter 1, verse 5, that a wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. Let's listen to wise counsel and obey it. And then let's also remember God's loving kindness, even in the midst of wickedness, how God still shows kindness. It amazes me that in all of this and the wickedness we read about with Jeroboam II, that God would deliver them knowing that they would go do exactly what they did. Let us not frustrate God's grace. Let us not um, continue in sin that grace may abound. God forbid. Let us see God's grace and let us rest in God's grace and let us walk in his grace, in his spirit for his glory. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love for us, for the grace that you pour out upon us. Lord Jesus, we give thanks that you died on the cross for us, that you rose again and that you live filling us with your spirit enabling us to walk in your spirit and in your grace. May we walk humbly with you. May we follow you. May we learn and take heed from the bad example of King Amaziah and some of these other kings, but instead trust you and trust you wholly and fully. Lord, we give ourselves to you now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.